we have so much that we want to do today that we're going to jump right in to uh, basically what this song just said. Give me something to believe. And, uh, but the reality is, you guys, every one of us, no matter what your background is, no matter where you've come from, no matter, it doesn't matter, every single human being actually believes something. You just do. And so what we're going to do right now, if you don't have a pen and a program, you're going to need one, okay? So the, the whole service kind of revolves around what we're going to do here for the next five minutes. So if you don't have anything, wow, it's smoky. Uh, if you guys want to uh, just go off to maybe grab the, uh, uh, an usher over here, a greeter over here, they'll have some stuff. Because um, I'm going to ask you three questions, and you are actually going to write down the answers to these questions. And we're going to give you some time to do this. Um, because the questions that I'm going to ask you are the things that we're going to kind of go over today. And we're going to give you a chance just to basically think for a moment about what you believe. Because we all believe something. And uh, it's critical that we get a real core grasp of what that means, all right? So here's your first question. <clears throat> what is your worldview? What is your worldview? Is that funny? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so here's the deal. Now, what is a worldview? Because some of you are going, I'm not sure what it is. So here, I, I Googled everything I could find on that to find the best clear definition for you. This is what a worldview is. It's an explanation and an interpretation of the world. It's how do you explain the world? What do you believe about the world? It's just your basic understanding of what the world is, and then it's an application of that view to your life. So it's how you interpret the world and how you interact with it. So basically, you just need to write down right now, what do you think this is all about? Why, why does this whole thing exist? Where are we going? What's true and what's not true? So go, ahead. so go ahead, and basically, when I've done this in the past, I did this uh, when I was actually in seminary, these three questions, phenomenal stuff. I went through my whole apartment complex and just asked everybody these three questions. And, um, and it was great to be able to do that uh, because you could just interact, and you can actually answer these questions pretty quickly. Um, so if you can just sit down and take a few minutes, I'm going to give you probably only about three minutes, though, to write down what your worldview is. And it's very, very important to you personally think through what your own is before we dive in to the rest of the service today. So go ahead and take some time to do that. For anybody who's walking in, uh, we are answering the question on your own sheet of paper there, what your worldview is. How do you view the world? What's this all about? Why are we here? Why do we exist? Just what's true to you about this world? What's the purpose? That'd be another good question. What's the purpose? Of this, of this existence. All right, here's your second question. There's three of them. Number two, what do you, and this is, I'm not going to give you as much time on this one because I think it's a, it'll be, it should pop up to you pretty quickly. But the second question, oh, it's up there. What is the greatest problem in the world? What do you think is the greatest problem in the world? Go ahead and just take about 30 seconds to write down what you think it is. All right, here's the best question of all. How does your worldview solve that problem? I'm going to give you a couple minutes on this one. Think it through. How does your worldview solve the greatest problem in the world? Go ahead and write that one down. All right, so there you go. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at what our worldview is, 
what we think the biggest problem is in the world, and then how our worldviews solve that problem. And um, these are three great questions. Uh, you might want to take some more time when you get home. One of the things that's really important about this is uh, two things I want to ask you before we move on. The first one is, how right do you think you are? <laughs> when you wrote that down in your piece of paper, I mean, when you look at those answers, do you go, man, I am, I've got the right answer. How many of you feel like you got the right answer? All right, very good. Now, if you sat next to somebody and showed them your answer and you received theirs, one of my questions is, would you, would you actually respect somebody else's opinion? Would you actually respect that other people have a different opinion than you do about what this world's all about, what the greatest problem is, and how their worldview solves that problem? Tell you what, man, if you want to have a great conversation over lunch at work, <laughs> ask this question, man. It brings up some great, great stuff. Because in one of the big things, this next thing we're going to do, the band's going to play a song for us, because uh, I want you to start thinking about, in your own heart, um, your worldview, uh, these three questions. And, and this song that we found um, is one you, many of you will know. But I think it also really kind of um, sets the table for kind of how we are today in our culture, of the importance of being able to have our own worldview. All right? And uh, so let's go ahead and just kind of think about yours as you listen to the song, and then I'll jump up and we'll go into the message. Well, man, I've been I've been sitting with that song all week long, and I just thought, is that like the high school graduation theme song? I mean, think about that for a second. I just, I, I could not help but think back to when I was graduating. And with my mom and dad, they were pretty much like, hey, dude, you're 18. See you later. It's been great 18 years, but you're on your own. That's how our family kind of worked. And for me, remember, being great, you're like, whoo, I am free. Leave me alone. I can do whatever I want to do now. And there's this, I, so the whole time I listened to that, I just thought, God, that's such a part of our nature that wants to be able to say, hey, let me believe what I want to believe. Get off my back. And there's not one of us that doesn't feel that way. I mean, how many of you, I mean, I don't even need, you don't need to raise your hand because you all would raise your hand. We all live our lives around people who think differently than we do. And I don't know about you, but one of the greatest things that I desire when I'm with people who don't believe what I believe is I just want my beliefs respected. <laughs> I just want someone to say, hey, I, let me, I'll, to listen to me. Um, I hate debate, by the way. I'm just not a debater. You know, as soon as I get into a debate situation, I just kind of shut down. I'm not into debate. I love dialogue. I love talking about stuff. I love, I love hearing other people's opinions about their worldview and problems and solutions. I think it's awesome. And so in that sense, I think uh, Joss Stone here, and I don't know why she wrote that. I, I watched her live thing to see if I could find a reason why she wrote this. But uh, my guess would be that um, I think it's really important. If you and me, as human beings, I think it's important that we can go ahead and say, hey, guess what? I have a right to be wrong. I have a right to my opinion. And you know what? We live in America, and you do. <laughs> I hope it stays that way, kind of. I mean, I'm living, you know, I hope it stays to the point where in America, you are free to have your opinion. Because um, I think it's really critical that we are, we are able to do that.
But, uh, the, but when I thought about that, and uh, thinking back to my high school years and when I wanted to be wrong, um, usually eventually down the road you look back and you go, you know, that wasn't such a wise idea to want to be wrong, you know, to have a right to be wrong. You know, I have a right to go on the one-way street in the wrong direction. Well, yes, you do. You have a right to do that. Go ahead. And there's a consequence normally if you do. And so I, I, one of the things is, do you really want to be wrong? Because when, when I hear that song, it's like, hey, I have a right to be wrong. And it's like, well, yeah, but okay, great, you do. But do you want to be wrong? I, I don't think anybody really wants to be wrong. Um, eventually, you're hoping that maybe what you're thinking is right. So what I thought about was there are times, though, when it's not true that you have a right to be wrong. Um, yesterday, all day long, was an obvious example of that to me. My children don't have a right to be wrong. Come on, think about it. All you parents out there, can you imagine your little three or five or seven-year-old, like we have come up to you, when they are out running in the street or smacking their brother upside the head and you pull them aside, time to discipline them, they look at you and say, hey, I have a right to be wrong. <laughs> no, you don't. I mean, you come back as a parent and go, no, you don't have a right to be wrong. You have a freedom to be wrong, but you don't have any right. Let's take the school situation. Can you imagine going up to your professor, your professor gives you an F on your exam, and you get up in front of you and say, hey, I have a right to be wrong. No, you don't. You have a freedom to answer any way you want. But you don't have a right to be wrong. I'm looking over here at Greg Brelsford, who's a lawyer. Can you imagine a, a sitting in a courtroom, right? And all of a sudden, the defendant, you know, totally guilty, and it's obvious. They're totally charged. The, the judge stands up there and says, man, here's your sentence. The guy gets up and goes, hey, I got a right to be wrong. No, you don't. See, there are situations where you don't have the right to be wrong. Now, you have the freedom to be wrong. I think that's a God-ordained thing, by the way. You have the freedom to think whatever you want to think. You have the freedom to do whatever you want to do. But there comes a point where you can't say, I have the right to be wrong. Now, what's the difference? What's the difference between, you know, me and Melody here? Me and Melody, we could disagree on some things. And I, should, and I need to be able to look at her and say, you know what, you have the right to that opinion. And she should come back and say, well, Dave, you have the right to your opinion. And we need to respect each other's opinions. What's the difference between Melody and my relationship and a child and a parent, a student and a teacher, a defendant and a judge? See, a parent and a teacher and a judge have what? They have authority. And when they have authority, you don't have all these rights anymore. To at least to be wrong. You can still do whatever you want, but there are going to be what? Consequences if you choose to be wrong. And so when we think about this, you guys, today, we're actually thinking about God. That's why we're here today. It's a church. And, uh, and when we... Oh, Steve, you're in the wrong place. So, uh, but when we think about God, is there any more greater authority... In all of existence, is there anybody else who knows more than him, who has more power than him? Again, as we go through, we get into our worldview here, the thought that I'm a contingent being, that maybe I'm actually created by him. And so I think about this. Can you imagine dying and standing before God and going, hey, I have the right to be wrong? Uh, no, you don't. <laughs> you have the freedom to be wrong, but you don't have the right to be wrong. Romans 14, 11 says this. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, and every tongue will confess to God. So then, 
each of us will give an account of himself to God. And so what I'm going to try to do today is this. If I personally sat with you in my office and you believe something completely different than me, I'm going to tell you this right now. I will totally respect your opinion. Because you and I are on level playing ground. I have no authority over you. You don't have any authority over me. And so we need to listen to each other, and we need to work with each other in that manner. I think that's really, really important. Okay? But what I'm going to try to do today is share with you what the Christian worldview is. And if you've been through the series, then again, what I'm saying is we're going to actually talk about God. And what I'm going to ask you to do today is to open your heart to God. Um. So, obviously, you're listening to me, so do that with, you know, I mean, because I'm a human and I'm going to not, you know, speak perfectly for God. But I'm going to really try to just use the Word of God, which we talked about two weeks ago, the Bible, as my complete explanation of the worldview today. All right? So, what I want to do before we start is, would you, let's, I really feel like we need to just pray today. Because if there is a God, if He has revealed Himself, if there is something that's true about this world, and our worldview is different than what he has said, then that wouldn't be right. And if there is a God and he's all-powerful and of the authority, then we're not going to be able to stand before him and say, hey, I just, I was wrong, and, but I had that right. And so what I'm going to pray for and what I'm going to ask you to be willing to pray for is to open your heart to God. And especially if you're here seeking after him, if you're not sure if you believe in him yet, um, if you're not sure if Jesus Christ is who you want to put your faith in, I just want to just, just would you be willing, as our culture would say today, just to have an open mind today and an open heart to God today and see if he might speak to you today. Because he's spirit and so are you deep inside your being. So let's pray. Father, one thing your word tells us is that uh, we can't really see you unless you reveal yourself to us. That in darkness, unless you, the light of the world, come into that darkness, it's just dark. <laughs> and so, God, I'm just asking on behalf of all of us who are here today that you might come in light and show us what is really true. And just make yourself real, as only you can do. And we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what's the Christian worldview? And I'm going to go over this really quick because basically it's kind of what we've been talking about the last few weeks, okay, in this series of uh, this, un, you know, um, this, this truth that we're trying to see if it's reasonable doubt to believe things. But let me just throw you some passages, Isaiah 42. I'm going to look at three passages in the book of Isaiah who was an Old Testament prophet. He says, this is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. So again, again, you can choose to believe that or not. And if, if, if the whole creation issue is something that you, if you weren't here three weeks ago, we gave a lot of evidence of why there's at least enough evidence beyond a reasonable doubt to believe that this is true about God. That he is the one who created everything. <laughs> that he is the one who gives breath to those who walk on it. Isaiah 45, 11 says, this is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker concerning things to come. Do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? My, 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 my children like to do that. I don't know about yours. <laughs> and I think we do with God, too. I think we like, to give, we like to question him and we like to give him orders. 
we like to tell him this is how we think it should be. And he says, it is I who made the earth and created mankind upon it. My own hands have stretched out the heavens and I marshaled their starry hosts. Isaiah 45, 18, for this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but he formed it to be inhabited. And he says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. And then we jump to the book of Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible. And it says, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and I love this, and by your will they were created and they have their being. See, so I'm not sure what you put down in your worldview, but from the Christian perspective, the worldview is that you exist today only because God thought of you. You are his idea. You are a display of his glory into this world. And one of the things that the Bible tells us about God is that he's holy, which means he's completely different than we are. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's ever-present. He's pure in his love. In fact, the Bible says he is love. Not, and I think it was... Uh, yeah, yeah, I thought it was Julie. She said it so well last week when she was leading worship. That people can be loving, and they can, but God is love in his essence. He's righteous, which means everything he does is right. He's good in all that he does. And then he creates man. And one of the coolest things, you guys, is all of creation. The Bible tells us, too. All of creation displays the glory of God. And again, that's why I love you living in Utah. You just see the glory of God all around you. I was up late last night in the sliver of the moon, right? Shining on the clouds and just, the, the, you know, they're silhouetted against the sky. And I'm just, oh, I just love his creation. But you know what he said? All that was good. But you know how I really displayed my glory? Is when I made you. The other stuff was good, but you're really good. That's what the Bible says. You're, that's all good. You're really good. You know why you're really good? Because you, I created you in my image. In my image, I created you. Man, you matter. You're beautiful. So all of the glory that we see, you know what the most glorious thing is? The human race. And then you know what's even more glorious? The most glorious thing in all of creation is the human race rightly related to God. When a human being is totally connected with God and lives the way that God is, it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in the world. Because what's the greatest thing in all the world? Love. And when you live in the righteousness of God and you love like he loves, there's nothing else like it. So in a sense, you guys, that's all I want to say. But that's our worldview. We believe that the reason we're here is because God thought of this whole thing. And he thought of you. And we're supposed to be in relationship with him, and that's what this whole gamut's about. It's about a relationship with God. It's about being rightly related to him. It's about being rightly related with each other. It's about caring for this world that he placed us on and making this an awesome place to live that brings God glory. That's what it's about. So what's the greatest problem? If that's our worldview, what would the Christian say, in general, is the greatest problem in the world? Isaiah 59.1 says this. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you, 
so that he will not hear. You guys, what the Christian view says is the greatest being, the greatest good, everything that's right, everything that's love is God. And the greatest problem in all the world is that we're separated from him. The source of goodness and righteousness and love and truth is there and we're separated from him. Romans 3.23 says that all of us have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. These iniquities separate us from him. They make us fall short of his glory. So, but here's the question then. What is sin? <laughs> you know, if, I mean, if that's the biggest problem, I think I heard somebody mumble it. If sin is the greatest problem, then what is it? See, because I, I don't know about you, but I don't know too many hum human beings who like to really meditate on sin. You know, oh, speak more about sin, Dave. This is awesome. Makes me feel great. You know, I want to go home. Well, here's the deal. In fact, I read some of this. One, you, in Tim Keller, again, read, get that book. I'm going to read out of it again today. What he says is when he talked to somebody about the, who was in incredible despair, Tim looked at me and said, hey, the greatest, I've got the best news for you. You're a sinner. It's the greatest news in the whole world. You're a sinner. Well, what does that mean? Galatians 5.17 says this. The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. So what is sin? If you guys have been here for you know, these, our three and a half year existence, my way of describing sin this sinful nature, which again, what the Bible says, all of us have sinned. All of us were part of this. We all do it. There's not one human being, except Jesus Christ, who is God. There's not one human being who ever was absent of this sinful nature. And the way I like to describe it is it's a human nature that is bent away from God. For some reason, every human being is bent away from God. And instead, we go towards other things for, their, for our fulfillment for our satisfaction, for our guidance, and for our allegiance. Don't you? Come on, if you're a human being, I don't care how committed you are to Christ even, I look at those things and I go, that's me. All week long, I'm in conflict, just like the scripture says. With what? With going after other things for my fulfillment instead of God. Anybody else do that? Okay, just me. This will be a great day. Anybody else go to other stuff for satisfaction? How about for guidance? This guy doing some research to help me out with this message. He works in Barnes and Nobles. Self-help books last year made $1 billion, right, in resources because we need help. And so we go and we read lots of human beings' ideas about how to do that. That's where we get our guidance. Or, or, or bad, more, more than that, which is really good, is trust your heart. Trust your heart. Oh, my gosh. Have you ever looked at your heart lately? You really, really want to trust your heart? Is you're not messed up as mine is? If I trusted my heart, dude, I would be a mess today. I can tell you that right now. So, here's the deal. What's sin? What's the first commandment? The first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. Second commandment is, and don't make anything out of this world and then bow down to it. <laughs> Just don't do that. Don't worship it. Don't serve something that's made of this world. And so in Romans 125, it's not up on the screen, but it says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and they served created things rather than the creator. 
And, and when I read that, you guys, I go, that's what we do. This is sin, you guys. You know what we think sin is? Well, sin is, is stealing, and sin is being mean to people, and sin is adultery, and sin is murder, and sin is, and you know what? Is that, are those things sin? Yes. They are sin, but they are actions. There's a deeper issue of sin. And the deeper issue of sin is that I worship something else besides God. First commandment. And, they have to, and then when they asked Jesus, they said, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And again, that's where I go, do you ever look in the mirror lately and put that test up there? Did I love the Lord my God with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength today? You know, come on, hello. There's a problem. And the greatest problem is that we don't worship him. The ultimate, and now here's, what does it mean to worship? This is critical. What it means to worship is it's the ultimate and final authority whenever you make a decision. That is your God. Chew on that one just for a second. You and I make decisions all day long. And I think what we worship is what drives us to make that final decision. Because you'll have all these thoughts that will come to your mind. You'll have emotions that will rise up within you. You'll have past experiences. You'll have counsel from others. And then eventually, you will bow your knee to something that eventually made you make that decision. And whatever made you make that decision is what you worship. It's what we do. And, and, and so Tim Keller, again, this book, we got like 75 more copies because you in the first service took all of them last week, and so there wasn't any left. So we bought a bunch more. If you don't have this, reason for God, get this guy. He's amazing. His, this is his definition of sin. Sin is the despairing refusal to find your deepest identity in your relationship and service to God. That's what sin is. So in the Bible, the primary way to define sin is not just the doing of bad things. And again, so here we are. And that's why I think the world looks at the church and they look at God and they go, oh, I don't want anything to do with God because God's this cosmic killjoy. Because, and all I do is all this stuff that he doesn't want me to do and that's sin and he doesn't like me. No. The primary way to define sin is it's the making of good things into ultimate things. It is seeking to establish a sense of self by making something else more central to your significance, your purpose, and your happiness than your relationship to God. You guys, that's sin. Stop and think about what yours is, because we all got it. What gives you, what do you seek after in this world to give you your greatest significance? Right? So most of us men are sitting in here and going, man, it's my job. I'm only significant if I have a good job. For a lot of us, it's if I got stuff, man, what am I driving? Where do I live? How much money do I have? Because if I don't have that, then I'm not significant. And so when it comes down to make a decision, right, what you do is you base that whole decision on, am I going to get a better job? Am I going to make more money? See, just side note. See, that was one of the funniest things to us when we moved from Detroit to come out here to start this church. Because people were like, you mean you left everything because you felt like God was leading you to move to Utah? 
Unbelievable. You guys, oh, man, you guys rock. You get a job promotion, you will leave everything, won't you? In a second. What do you worship? I, I, I mean, tell you, you make a decision, you don't even pray about it. It's not because it's not about if God wants you to go somewhere. It's, dude, we'll make like 50,000 more. I'll, may, I'll rise the corporate ladder. I make the decision. See, it's, it's, it's wild when we come to these things. And so we get in here, and women, for some of you, it is, for some, again, we're all different. For some, and guys too in here, it's how you look. Man, your significance right now, the amount of time spent in front of the mirror so that you can walk out into the world and hope that people will look at you and think, yes. <laughs> yes. And that's your significance. And so when it comes down time to make a decision, all of a sudden it's like, so you guys, this is why when God, the whole money issue, you know, and again, people go, I don't want to go to church because all they want is my money. See, you guys, what Jesus said was no. No, you know, guys, you know why money's such a cool thing that I put into play here? Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. See, I'm just trying to help you understand what you worship, <laughs> okay? Because if you don't give a dime to me, and then you say you worship me, you're lying. You don't. If you don't give of yourself to God on a regular basis, but, but I love him with all, no, you don't. See, that's partly why God said, let me put some money into this thing, because it's really hard to help you see your heart. But I'm telling you, where your time goes and where your resources go, show your heart. So, you guys, we got all these things. For some of us, you know what you worship? You worship your family. You worship your spouse or your kids. Now, is that a good thing? Spouses and kids, I mean? Yes. They're really good things. But to worship them is not a good thing. To make them the center of every decision you make, God never intended a spouse to be that. They never intended for your kids to run your life so that when you think about your time and what you're going to do, it's like, well, what's Johnny got? That's not the basis for making decisions. And sin is when you put anything else but God at the center of why you live your life. Now, let me ask you this. Why would that be a problem to do that? Even good things. Like, again, that's what Keller says. I'm talking about good things, you guys. But it's when you make good things the ultimate thing that we have the problem. Spouses, working, money, pleasure, approval of others, good causes can even be things that people worship instead of God. Okay? But when they become the ultimate thing, what's the consequence? The first one is this, you guys. There's a personal consequence. And I like how Keller says it. He says, there's an identity, any identity apart from God is inherently unstable. It's just inherently unstable. I, I, I always wonder, man, what if it's all about how you look? You know, and then all of a sudden you get in some car accident or something, or you have this horrible thing, and it you know, takes off half your face, and you got to live the rest of your life without being able to. What, what, what then? What if your family is everything to you, and you lose them in a car accident? I don't even, oh, you know, my worst fear of my life. What if it's your job, and... All of a sudden, you lose your job or it's money, and you live in the United States right now. <laughs> and the economy's tanking. But if you don't have stuff, see what I'm saying? Whenever you make something else the center, the reason it's sin is because it's not good. It's not right. 
God is saying, I'm the only one who never changes. I'm the only one who fully satisfies. I'm the only one who will always be there. I'm the only one who actually knows you and wired you and knows how to fulfill you. And I want to do that. But when you go after other things, you put your hope in things that are unstable. And then you, 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 if you fail, what happens? Oh, my gosh. If you need that to be significant and you fail at it, the guilt that you have, the fear the crawling up in a hole and not trying again because you just feel like you're nobody? What happens if another person inhibits you, takes your job, gets the promotion instead of you, says no to your proposal? What do you do when somebody else, I tell you what, bitterness can creep in towards other people and you spend the rest of your life as a bitter person because you put people or something else at the center of your reason for existing, your significance and your purpose could actually be thwarted by a person. I, I tell you, this is a huge one for me. I've shared this with you so many times. Man, when, I, when conflict happens and I can't resolve that and somebody has an anger issue at me, it can just throw me in a tizzy because many times at the center of my knowing that I'm significant is if I can get along with you. And if I can't get along with you, then I feel insignificant. Oh my gosh, am I a sick person? See, that's why I have no problem looking in the mirror and going, my heart's messed up. I don't have any problem saying that. I'm not right. I'm not good. I need God. Man, when you have fear of losing things, the stress and the anxiety, and then they start to enslave you. Guys, why do addictions come into place in our life? It's because eventually we need something instead of God. So there's a personal consequence when you say, hey, yeah, you know what? I got a right to be wrong. I have a right to say no to you, God. He goes, you know what? I did. I gave you freedom because I wanted this to be about love. <laughs> Didn't want to like make you robots and make you do things. I actually wanted to have a relationship with you. So yes, you have freedom. But if you don't want to put me at the center of your life, it's the first thing I said. Don't have any other gods there besides me. If you want to, go for it. But man, you are going to live in unstable, shaky, <laughs> fearful, potentially, life. Okay? Now the second thing is this. The second, the second consequence is socially. You guys, why is our world so messed up? Because we're all following God? No, because we're not. Okay, now let me just read this. This is something from Jonathan Edwards in his book, The Nature of True, True Virtues. Writing about his book, Keller says, he argues that human society is deeply fragmented when anything but God is our highest love. Okay. So when we love other things besides God the most, it screws everything up. If our highest goal in life is the good of our family, then, says Edwards, we will tend to care less for other families. If our highest goal is the good of our nation, tribe, or race, then we will tend to be racist or nationalistic. If our ultimate goal in life is our own individual happiness, then we will put our own economic and power interests ahead of those of others. Edwards concludes that only if God is our sunum bonum, our ultimate good and life center, will we find our heart drawn not only to people of all families, races, and classes, but to the whole world in general. Could you follow that? Man, if I need something and I give my life to something more than God, then all of a sudden, anybody who doesn't agree with me becomes the enemy. Keller goes on to say that. He goes, if we get our very identity, our sense of worth from our political position, then politics is not really about politics, it's about us. 
Through our cause, we are getting a self, our worth. And that means we must despise and demonize the opposition. If we get our identity from our ethnicity or socioeconomic status, then we have to feel superior to those of other classes and races. Now check, okay, now listen to these, because this is so right for our day and age. If you are profoundly proud of being an open-minded, tolerant soul. Anybody in here? Don't, don't raise your hand, because I'm going to, he's going to spank you in just a sec. So, <laughs> if you're profoundly proud of being an open-minded, tolerant soul, you will be extremely indignant toward people you think are bigots. Is that true? If you are a very moral person, okay, all you good Christians, if you are a very moral person, you will feel very superior to people you think are licentious. See, that's what, 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 what Keller's trying to help us see here, you guys, is even good things, when they become the center, cause friction in our relationships with other people. And the only way to have peace on earth is if there's one center. So there's consequences personally if I worship other things besides God. There's consequences socially if I worship other things besides God. And then, you guys, here's the biggie. There's consequences eternally if you worship other things besides God. Ephesians 2, verse 3 says this. All of us lived among them at one time, meaning those who were apart from God gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Romans 6.20 When you were slaves to sin, slaves to pursuing other things besides God, you were free from the control of righteousness. And what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. And here's the classic verse, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Why? Because what is sin? Sin, remember right when I started, Isaiah 59.1, your iniquities separate you from God. And if you are separated from God, then you are separated from the very source of life. And if you're separated from the source of life, that's called death. The very thing that you earned, I love how the scripture says that, the wage, right? Now, a wage is something you work for. The very thing that you earned by saying no to God and yes to other things, created things, saying yes to your own desires instead of him, is you earned death. That's the price that you have to pay. And that separation from God goes on for eternity. So here's my question. Who's going to pay that price? If that's the price for sin, are you ready to pay that price? You earned it. Do you want to pay it? I would like to suggest to you today that you don't have enough spiritual resource to pay that. There is nothing within inside of you that can make the payment to God because all of your good works will never be perfect. It just won't happen. You guys, see, so for the Christian perspective, when we say, here's the worldview, there's a God and he's good and he's right, and then there's a problem. You guys, this is a huge problem. <laughs> the biggest problem is that people are separated from God 
And if they don't get reconnected to him, then the very source of life will not be in their existence for eternity. That's a problem. And what Christianity says is that's the biggest problem, is that I worship other things besides God. Now, how does our worldview solve that problem? Here you go. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Because at the end of verse 3, it said, we're objects of wrath. That was the last word, wrath. By the way, did you know that 52.6% of the population today don't believe that God's actually angry at sin? Okay? And maybe you don't think he is either. The Bible would differ on that point. There is wrath towards sin. He doesn't like bad things that hurt people. He doesn't. It's just like me. I mean, if my kid whacks up somebody upside the head, I don't know. Well, yeah, go ahead. No. God has a problem with that, just like I have a problem with that with my children. But even though we're objects of wrath, look at this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, dead in sin, separated from God, pursuing things, losing our life, having all of our relationships fall apart, living in anxiety and despair, whatever, being empty, not having, having everything in the world and still not being fulfilled. Even when we were doing that, he loved us, and it is by grace that you have been saved. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, and we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. You guys, one of the greatest verses in all the Bible is this. God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still saying, you know what, God? I just don't want, I'm, you know what, I, 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 I'm going to do my own thing here. I'm going to choose to worship created things. I'm going to choose to worship. I'm going to bow my knee. When it comes down to my final decision, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm not going to bow my knee to you. And what God says is, even when you were doing that, I love you. And I will die for you. I know you could, you could care less about me, and I will die for you. See, that's so not human. <laughs> human beings don't say, man, you hate me? Oh, well, let me love you. No, we don't do that. But God does that. And then what does he do? How does he demonstrate his love for you? He says, you know what? You have a price you can't pay. It's just like, man, if, if, if you owed somebody five bucks, you know, oh, dude, hey, you know, Melody, you got five bucks I can borrow? Oh, sure. Oh, thanks. That's about as much as gratitude I give her, right? Thanks. <laughs> man, if all of a sudden I go bankrupt and I owe a million dollars, and somebody comes along and says, I'll cover that for you. <gasps> Are you kidding me? You're going like, to cover a million dollars? Dude, I owe you my, what? Life. And God says, hey, you know what? You're on the highway to hell. 
I remember singing that as a high school kid. Remember that? Be dancing at the disco. I'm on a highway to hell. You know, just loving that song. And God says, that's where you're going. And I don't want you to go there. And the only way you're not going to go there, if somebody pays your price, I'm going to die for you. And so the choice is yours. See, this is the proposal, you guys. God's proposal is me or yourself. Your choice. I love talking to single guys, and they're just like, man, that's why I just need to find a wife. I still want to live alone. I know some of you single gals, it's like, man, just a, oh, man, we just, in fact, we just watched Bella this weekend, and the girl was just saying there, weeping, you know, on the beach, pregnant, and no man to love her. Wanting to get rid of the baby. And it's just like, God, just what a man who just would come beside me. And you know what God's proposal is? It's been fun to think back to proposing to Suze. And Dave, you who just proposed. Here's God's proposal. He gets on his knee. It's the weirdest thing. And it's not because you're great. It's not because you're good looking. It's not because of all the good things you've done. It's because you don't care about him. It's because you have a sinful nature that desires other things more than God. And he knows that. And so he gets down on his knee instead of you, who should be on your knee. He gets on his knee. And he holds out the box with the ring in it. And he says, I died for you. Do you want me? Do you want me? I am eternal life. And it comes to you by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Do you want me? I love you. See, because you guys, we all have a Lord, right? We're all worshiping something. But Jesus Christ is the Lord that if you give him everything, he gives you everything. And it's not shakable. Can't lose it. Because this Lord as well is the one that if you mess up, he's the one who always forgives you. That's the Christian worldview. That's the biggest problem in the world. Is that people are living for something else besides God. And the solution is that you can be reconciled back to God. See, because he forgives you on the cross, but not just to forgive you. What's that do? You know, why do I forgive Suze? Why does she forgive me? The reason we forgive each other is so why? So we can get back to the relationship that we like to have with each other. And he wants to give that to you. And all of you who came today, man, we have been praying for you like mad. Because the craziest thing about all this is that sometimes we hear this, and, we, and some of you on your journey with God, it just won't quite make sense. But what we're hoping today is that maybe some of you today would go, you know what? 
I do. Will you marry me? I will. I've received your proposal. I want to come to you. I want to come back to the one who created me, who knows me and who loves me perfectly. John 1.12 says, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. So here's the deal. The band's going to come forward, and we're going to have a chance. What we say, you know, we're going to worship him now, right? That's what we say when the band gets up here. We're going to worship him now. But what I want to really challenge you today is will you actually worship him today? In other words, wow, cool. Um, in other words, will you, in your spirit today, say, you know what? I want to receive you, God. There's two things you need to do to be able to do that today. You need to confess to God that you haven't worshipped him with your life. You need to confess to God that you haven't loved him that you've worshipped other things, that the very first commandment he ever gave in the, in the Ten Commandments was that you have actually worshipped other gods instead of him. And you need to confess that to him. And you need to say, I'm choosing today to switch my allegiance to you and not to anything else in this world. And if you do that, then he says, you mean you believe in me? You are forgiven. Sit. You're saved by grace. See, everything's already been done. Jesus already took care of everything. The whole human race, you guys, is saved by Christ right now. It's just a matter of us now appropriating that into our life by faith. To put our faith in Christ. And my question to you today is, will you do that? Because if you do, then you will receive him. And when you receive God, in your heart, you receive eternal life, and you become a child of God. Not by anything you've ever done, but because of his love for you. So here's how we're going to do this today. Is, uh, our greeter is going to come forward, because for those of us who've received that, is there any better time than today to do our communion with God? <laughs> And just to come forward, because Jesus said, oh, you guys, remember. Remember my body broken for you. Remember my blood that was spilled for you. Because of my act on the cross, I paid the price you couldn't pay. I love you that much. And I want you to always remember how much I love you. So if you have received Christ and you're a child of God, then Jesus says, then come forward and commune with me. <laughs> remember that I'm in you. <laughs> remember that you're my child and celebrate the fact that you and I are good like forever, <laughs> every single day. And so we're going to do that, but also I just thought for those of you who are sitting here today and who have never said yes to God's proposal, that maybe today is your day to do that. Maybe one idea is you could take your worldview that you wrote down and you just said, you know what, I'm cashing this one in. I'm going to believe that there's a God who loves me that much, and I'm going to give my life to him today, and I'm going to receive him into my being. Some of us will be over on the sides. The whole group will come up. But if you want to just pray with one of us and say, this is the day where I accept the proposal from God to have eternal life 
then just find one of us over on the side, and you can do that. And let's worship him. Let's put him at the center of our existence together. Brad, go ahead and lead us.